The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Cole, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and columnist for the New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka, founder of Crikey, serial shareholder, pest and city of Manningham councillor. We are the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. And folks, if it sounds like we've got a mouthful today, it's because my wife has made us some chocolate chip biscuits, which we're Absolutely eating. scrumptious. Plenty of chocolate, week, plenty of chocolate in them. Every week, please. More I'll tell her that. the same. Um, because I'm missing. She made them for my. She made them for my grandson who's over this morning. Because I'm missing the tea and bickies at AGMs. Because I'm doing them all online. So normally you get a good feed at the end of an AGM, but I'm going hungry. You get a, um, a scotch finger and a uh, milk arrowroot. Yeah, no, actually, so, and the the only feedback I've had from a shareholder is after the Lottery Corp AGM, outraged. They didn't even offer biscuits up here in Brisbane. <laughs> it's a shocker. You have been so busy. Stephen, take us through some of the AGMs you've, um, you've well, I guess, uh, attended, perhaps only online. But well, still. I guess I mean the breaking news is this morning: Goodman Group, world's biggest industrial company, uh, industrial property owner, second strike on the REM and 29% against the REM chairman's re-election, Mr. Pryke. The issue here is that they report operating EPS without taking into account share-based payments to staff and executives, which accounts for 60% of total pay in a good year. Bloody hell. So their numbers are all over the shop. Uh, and they've had a second strike. And, and they, the, were, they were belligerent. They were not going to change this, you know. So they, they, they didn't get spilled. Why not? Well, it's worked. It's like Macquarie. It's worked for 30 years. We're the world's biggest. Everyone's aligned. Everyone's making a fortune. Leave us alone. The system works. Stop no, but, being but a box-ticking corporate governance. But don't they have to have a spill? Oh, the spill was defeated 98% to two. Oh. So the shareholders triggered the second strike and then said, we don't want to spill the board because oh, the, these guys have created a fortune. They're worth $33 billion. They're a top 20 company. We love them. But we just wish the accounting would be a bit more different on the share-based payments. Because at the Platinum AGM yesterday, the CEO, Andrew Clifford, said, if you ever see a company reporting uh, operating earnings before share-based payments to staff, run for the hills. So I asked that question. I said, the, the Platinum CEO said, run for the hills if anyone has yeah, your model. Yeah, and what do they say? Well, our model's very successful, you know, all that sort of stuff. So. <laughs> but Goodman's a great story. I mean, no other family's had two major public companies named after them. Pat Goodman, the baker from New Zealand, Goodman Fielder, and now his son Greg has built Goodman Group into the world's biggest industrial property group. He's a billionaire, and um, we should be proud of them. They're like ComputerShare, Westfield, you know, um, CSL, a genuine global Australian success story, although he still has his Kiwi accent. Greg, fish and chips. But, where, does he, uh, where does he live? Does he live he in... He lives in Sydney, so we Sydney. own it. It's us. Like, it's us. Ev- like every successful New so Zealand he's, success he's story. Crow, we we he's, claim it. Correct. He's, he's Russell Crowe. He's the Russell Crowe of corporate <laughs> Australia. An honorary Australian because he's so good. Very good. And what about News Corp? Well, I mean, I, it was 2 o'clock on, when, on Wednesday morning and uh, I was all ready to, to log on to the virtual AGM and I discovered, like buried in page 76 of the notice of meeting, you had to email the company a week before to be given a log-on code. 
So they had a question-free shareholder-free AGM. Rupert gave a two-minute address. The whole thing was done in 18 minutes. But you were able to listen to it, were you? Oh, the, the webcast is up. It, it, they keep it up for a month. So Insurance Australia Group has transcripts all the way back to 2003 on their website. News Corp gives you a month before they rip the webcast down of every presentation they do and they never publish a transcript. Right. But if, you, if you're in quick, you can listen to Rupert talking in a one-way conversation. did Rupert make a speech? He gave a daughtery two-minute speech. I mean, for a bloke earning 50 million Australian a year chairing two public companies, you'd think he could do better than two minutes and he doesn't even turn up to the earnings conference calls these days. So he's, he's an overpaid 91-year-old working from home um, deciding whether he backs Donald Trump or not. You know, it's an interesting situation. That's one way to put it. Oh, Jesus. But a few other, few other fun ones. So Cromwell Property Group yesterday, my favourite comment from the, the chair, Gary Weiss, was all about the, the Polish retail assets worth $720 million. And he said, we recently, finally after COVID, were able to visit Poland. Quote, I'm pleased to say the assets are real. <laughs> so uh, so that, was, that was quite that's good. That's a relief. Yes, that was a relief. They, that, weren't, they weren't hit by the missile. No, no, but uh, they're, they're going to take. I mean, they're, they're like all property groups except for Goodman. So Goodman's net assets is two point five billion, and the market cap is thirty three point six. So they're undercooked. They've got an undercooked balance sheet. All the other listed REITs, like Dexas, is claiming book, as, book book value of thirteen billion, market cap eight billion. So Cromwell, they're saying we're worth two point eight, market cap's one point nine. So I'm going, where's the missing eight hundred million? And, and I reckon, I reckon two or three hundred is in these Polish retail assets. Well, the market doesn't believe the value. What are they? Shopping malls in yeah, in in in, in, in Warsaw, in, in in Poland somewhere. Yeah. So, what is a Brisbane-based property company doing with seven hundred and twenty? It's to be like Babcock and Brown with all well, those East German flats. Back Polish in the people day. go shopping. What's what's the problem? Yeah. Well, they're trying it. They're trying to get out. But another funny one was Capital Health, which is a I think radiology uh, network chaired by Andrew Demetrio, the former AFL CEO. Yes. He's got two years to go before he's promised to pay for his crown sins and uh, and leave. But when he read out the proxies, it was just like watching the Brownlow medal count. He goes, the re-election of Dr. Kevin Shaw in favour, 47 million, against 2.1 million, abstain, 3.6 million. <laughs> so, flashbacks. <laughs> Uh, anyway, and finally, Accent Group, which is a, Australia's biggest shoe retailer, athletes, foot, Timberland, etc., 600 stores. They, just like JB Hi-Fi and Domino's, no enterprise agreements, no unions, all the award, and they're a great success story. So don't let the union anywhere near you if you want to be a successful retailer in Australia, I would say. And lastly, Seven West Media is the only one. So since we last got together, Alan, I've been to 22 meetings and asked 212 questions. But the biggest impact was the one I didn't go to, Seven West Media, where there was no online element. So I sent a proxy young journo called Callum Foote, who works for michaelwest.com. He started asking Kerry Stokes about why we, why you're funding Ben Robert Smith's defamation case, you know, a few, few awkward questions. And Kerry was getting angrier and angrier. And then he, he, he called him over at the end and said, come over here, son. And, and the quote was, tell Stephen that Ben Robert Smith is innocent and deserves legal representation and that scumbag journalists should be held to account. And quote me on that. And at exactly the same time, I was firing online questions to Peter Costello at Channel 9 saying, 
can't you just pick up the phone to Kerry Stokes and tell him to stop funding Ben Robert Smith and you're all wasting $10 million and what in did, court? And what did Peter Costello say? You're suggesting cartel contact, conduct, ACCC. Oh, I can't possibly talk to the opposition. And then he just, through gritted teeth, said, we defend our journalists when they're right. So he resisted an opportunity to do an impassioned defence of Nick McKenzie journalism, investigative journalism, and have a go at Stokes and just said, did some stupid attack on me about suggesting cartel conduct and then just grimly muttered something about uh, defending journalists who don't make mistakes. And he again tried to claim that his $300,000 Kerry James Packer payment a decade ago was for M&A advice to consolidated press holdings. Nothing to do with the casino or gambling lobby. So you're not letting him forget that? Well, I did, you're not letting go. I mean, I did check well, with you, my. You my, never my let friend, anything Mr. go, Packer. Stephen. I never. did check with my friend, Mr. Packer, who who said that was not correct. Uh, what? He said it was for gambling and lobbying. Oh, I see. Did, so did you tell? Still, did you tell Mr. Costello that um, no, Mr. Packer had told cause, you? Because former Labor Senator Chris Schott got the question in from the floor. So my online question was redundant. So because all Costello's comments on the $300,000 payment from Packer was on the floor responding to a former Labor senator. So it was Polly on Polly at the 9 AGM. <laughs> well, Chris Schott was there asking questions, was yeah, he? Yeah, he's as tall Good as me. Him. He makes it, he's a real he nuisance th- as well. He's a serial He thinks he's like back me. in uh, question time yeah, at the Parliament he, he, he House. He does. He, he, drives, he drives from Adelaide. He drove across to the Macquarie AGM at Mel- in Melbourne in July. He drove to Sydney to harass Peter Costello at the 9 AGM. He's a great shareholder activist. We need more like that. We do. That's right. But more people like you. <sighs> it's lonely. I mean, like... Alchem, which is the 10% of the world's lithium, right? It's the old um, Oracobre and Galaxy resources combined. Market cap 10 billion, 50,000 shareholders, just me asking questions. It's lonely. Yesterday, Northern Star, Australia's big, second biggest gold miner, $11.5 billion market cap, 55,000 shareholders. One question from the floor and 13 of mine from the city well, thank, of Manningham. Thank God for you, Stephen, that's all I can say. I didn't bother going you to Medi- the- Medibank or AGL or my because... You- there was good debate there. Didn't need any assistance. You are an debate. island in the sea of apathy. It is apathy is the word. It's apathy, a tragic apathy that leads to a fail, failure to have a culture of shareholder pressure. Yes. In a market where every working stiff is forced to be exposed to the well, equity you market do, because you of compulsory super. More than your share of it, Stephen. If what I may you, say. Now, what do you want to talk about? Uh, well, uh, oh well, it's interesting about AGL. Um, you know, with Brookfield and EIG coming back at them. I mean... At, at Origin. Sorry, they're coming at Origin. Yes. AGL rejected the yes. approach yes. from Brookfield. Got, Brookfield got, and Michael Cannon-Brooks, I just yeah. forgot about that. And then uh, so Brookfield's come up with EIG to, to go for Origin, Origin, which is a lot more expensive than AGL. 18 billion. 18 and that billion. Will only leave, they disappear, that'll only leave the one listed gen tailor in AGL. And AGL is the most difficult job in Australia. If you could pick a director to be a company of that was hard, I say AGL. So, so what do you is reckon about hardest. those four directors getting up? Michael Cannon Brooks's nominees. It's a, it's a good, well, then, no, they're not his nominees. They were. They talk to him, but they are independent directors. So they're not allowed to talk well, to him now. They have to respect confidence. He's just another shareholder. I know two, none I know of two them are nominated them, by him. I know two of them quite well, and they are not anyone's nominees. No. Kerry, Kerry Schott and John Pallers, 
Kerry Schott's going to be the. She should be the new chair. She I should, think of course. She's fantastic. She stared down she knows what she's doing. EOB corruption stuff. She's she's fantastic. She knows what she's doing. She ran the Energy Security Board. Yeah. She really knows the area. Yeah. But John Polares is pretty good too. Oh. No, former CEO Foster's. He's okay. Yeah, he, yeah. he got the lowest vote, so he he? he only got in the sixties. Um, but yeah, everyone got elected, so everyone's a winner. But um, and what's I, going on at Meyer? Well, I mean, Solly's got twenty three percent, and he got his man Terry McCartney, who knows all about retailing from the nineteen eighties at Grace Brothers, according to his speech. So he's a bit he's a bit old and grey, but so Solly has his man on the board so he should hopefully that's a good behaviour bond for Solly but the incumbent directors including the chair only got back with 56% in favour so Solly is a creep or two away from having the numbers to roll the whole board of Meyer and that does come down to paying a control premium and would he then control the board of Meyer well he, he as I said he, I mean Kerry Stokes you know 30% is basically where you can control He's on 23. So, as I said, he's a creep or two away. He's a year away from being 29. And based on those numbers at the Meyer AGM where the, the, the chair got, only got 56% in favour and his candidate got 64 or something, Solly, because it's a big 50% retail register, you can control a company with but as much it? as 25 to 30%. Yeah, but the question is what does he want to do with it? He wants you know? to be the king of retail. Yeah, he, I know. But he, he is the most is successful retail share trader in Australian history and not a bad operator too. My, but Myers is on the decline. Well, their retail's going – their online's going well. John King's done a good job as a CEO. Their shares have gone from $0.07 cents to 50 or 60 So it's like when seven West Media shares got below $0.10. Cents. I mean, where were all the bottom fishers when stocks like Meyer and seven West Media were under $0.10? Cents? They're now above $0.50 cents and – Solly's got to pay a billion dollars plus if he wants to control Meyer, including the debt, and take on all those so did you buy, liabilities. So did you buy some Meyer at seven cents? No. I can't afford to tr- do any trading, Alan. I, all I can afford to do is buy shortly before an AGM and sell out. But I've got my core of 300 stocks where I've got the one to ten shares. So I've got my base portfolio, and then I have yeah. to trade in and out to, to find new targets. Yes, right. Fair enough. What about the politics? Uh, meetings with President Z, um, Trump... What do you what do you make? You know, Ukraine, Poland. I mean, it's so, geopolitically, it's just all happening. Isn't I, had a, I had a graph on the ABC News last night of of the geopolitical risk index, which is back up to where it was uh, in nine eleven, and uh, well, almost to where it was in nine eleven, and back up to where, it, where where it was in the when the the Soviet Union collapsed. So it's definitely high, and that was before the the missile hit Poland mm. the other night. So it is all happening geopolitically. Do you know, from a market's point of view, you know the most memorable impact of the collapse of the Soviet Union? It was smashed commodity prices because of a flood of metals coming from the Soviet bloc from the end of all that military industrial complex construction. So I remember going, you know, iron ore hit 18 bucks a tonne, copper went, you know. So around the year... Uh, early 1990s, it was an absolute debacle for anyone in the mining game. And let's talk about Australia. And it's the reverse of that now. The story of Australia was a hundred years of the terms of trade progressively getting worse. You know, the wool price falling, everything. And now we're in the super cycle of commodities and we're back to being the luckiest country in the world. Well, and all because China didn't go the way of the Soviet Union. because China went economic growth. Yeah. Um, and we're the, we're the great supplier to And now to, they're to going China. full autocracy <laughs> yeah. with uh, Mr Jinping 
Oh, Mr. Mr. G, I mean, Mr. Z, yeah. um, being president for life and uh, and all now thawing. I don't really have much to add to that, really. No, well, I think the sensible elbow getting a meeting didn't understand the Morrison-Dutton belligerence to China. I mean, don't kick over the beehive if you don't have to, particularly if they're your golden goose. Yeah, of course. So I think well done, Albo, just for calm, you know, like a good factional fixer that he oh, is. The Morrison, know, get in the room, the talk Morrison, to your enemy. The Morrison-Dutton-Maurice Payne performance was appalling. And they lost the election because of it too. I, know, I mean, it was partly. just it was suicidal sure. and appalling and not in the national interest. So, um, yeah. And just finally, do you think Dan's going to win his third term? Dan Andrews, that is the yeah, no, think, Premier think, of Victoria. I think he will. I think it'll be a slightly reduced um, margin. I actually emceed a candidate's debate in Albert Park the other night. That's a marginal seat now that the Liberals are preferencing the Greens. So the Liberals putting Labor last everywhere is going to see the Greens in the lower house go from three to between six and eight out of 88. There'll be another... There's already two or three independents. I think with the Teals, the independents will get to five or six. So the crossbench is going to be double figures. Dan's got an 18-seat margin. He'll lose two or three to the Libs, maybe on the outer suburbs. So I think there's a moderate chance of a minority government with Green and independent support. And that's what I hope happens because Dan is so arrogant and such a centralist with his 90, 90 staff in head office compared to 50 in the Prime Minister's office. I think he'll go rather than having to bow and scrape to the Greens. And I think he should go. There's no such thing as a good third-term government. He's been there too long. He's too arrogant. He's too dictatorial. And I hope he, uh, the Libs aren't ready to govern. But I think Dan will get a bit of a shock because people are a bit sick of his tactics. And he's bankrupt of the state too. I like that statement, Stephen, that there's no such thing as a good third-term government. I, well, I always vote for the opposition, I find. I'm always perpetually disappointed with whoever's in government. That's my The number one th- measure of my voting pattern is vote for the opposition genuine swinging voter but I also apart from the Keating Hawke years and maybe Howard there is no such thing as a good third term government you know they hand over definitely not Howard but possibly Hawke and Keating yeah yeah and they always hand over to the women who get the fag end of the regime whether it's Anna Bly or Carmen Lawrence you know the blokes stuff it up get stale get corrupt have to go whatever and then they hand over to the woman and then they get smashed in a landslide. That's the story of politics. That's what Dan, happened to Joan Kerner. Correct, Joan Kerner. So, Dan, if it's minority parliament, he'll hand over to Jacinta Allen with a Greens government. That'll be that'll be a, a governance mess and the Liberals will win comfortably in four years' time if they can put ten people into the parliament who could make up a sensible cabinet, which they currently don't have. Oh, there you are. Questions? Questions. Okay, I'll start with Thomas. Love the potty. Keep up the good work. My partner and I are a year into our first mortgage and thinking about the next steps to manage our money, and we're both competitive ex-bean counters and can't agree on a strategy. Well, we're not marriage counsellors here, Thomas, so, uh, you know, you're on your own there. Uh, We're keen to to get into the share market and wondering what the team thinks about a a minimum lump sum to invest to make it worthwhile and how best to think about distributing our funds between generating returns versus saving. Should we, for example, invest only the excess cash we have Fifteen thousand dollars, or is it better to go in a bit larger by t- by taking some money out of our offset account? Is there more to think about beyond just trying to beat our interest cost on the share market? Uh, yeah, so I'd go. The, I'd go the offset. I would start at maybe thirty thousand. I think it's a good number for a base toe in the water portfolio that is that matters a little bit. Well, I see. I'm. I'm. I don't agree. You think pay off the mortgage, do you? Yeah, and also start a bit carefully. Don't. 
don't just jump in with 15,000. Oh, wait for a 10% correction. You know, oh, wait well, for yes, Alan Cole no, on the news to say, and folks, we are now in correction territory. <laughs> the market is down 10%, then go, boom, I'm in for 10,000. Uh, we, should, we should say we're not giving personal advice here. We cannot and do not give personal advice. So yeah, we don't know. Assets going to lock you up, Alan, or what? Come on. Sorry, shouldn't say that. I don't know, but this is, this, you know. You have a licence to operate. And you have to obey that oh, license. License to give general advice, yes. not personal yes, advice. Yes, I shouldn't be so. Anyway, so um, I, no I think that you should uh, buy, spend five thousand, then another five thousand, then another five thousand. Just, just do it carefully, slowly. Uh, learn as you go. Just take it easy. Don't jump in, and certainly, in my opinion, don't bloody well borrow the money to start with. Well, I have a. I was looking this morning. I've got a core portfolio of thirty-four thousand with a margin loan maxed out at sixteen thousand. I've had to borrow a bit off my mum, um, and we don't have any mortgages, so that's all right. I haven't got access to finance, so I don't think it's anything wrong with having a bit on your offset account because it's cheaper than the margin loan. No, so I go don't, for the I, cheapest I, I finance out I'm there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just think you're better off not doing that to begin with. You know, Thomas is Thomas and his. His partner are beginners here. Yeah. They should take it easy. Yeah. All right, but what about if they learn about if, learn about the market as they go? If they're on good money, I would say maximise your super contributions and the tax deductions from putting in the maximum twenty five k or whatever it is into super. But that locks it up. If you're young, that locks it up for thirty years, and that that's that's your issue. Can yeah, you sure. afford to lock it away like that? John says, regarding Alan's point in last week's cafe about the quantum of government services to be delivered expected compared to the tax to be collected, especially in light of the stage three tax cuts, why not introduce an aged care levy as well as an NDIS levy, just like the Medicare levy? The cuts in at the income levels where the stage three tax cuts lessen taxation. Such levies would not apply to lower income levels. Labor does not have to abandon the stage three tax cuts. The levies allow the ADO to collect funds to pay for aged care in the NDIS. Surely the rich are up for helping the age, aged and the disabled. Now, I think we can tell from uh, Stephen's derisory tone there that he does not agree with that. And, um, okay, I mean, the problem with the Medicare levy uh, is that it's not enough. Well, so it's, a, it's, it's just a, wealth, a tax. It's a wealth tax too. It's well, based well, it's, on the more, more you earn, the more you pay. It's well, a wealth yeah, tax. That sounds fine to me. But, but... It, the thing is, it's, it's not a hypothecated tax because it doesn't actually pay the cost of Medicare. Yeah. And so it's just it's just a tax that pays, a, you know, yeah. arguably pays half a part of it. But well, it just goes into general revenue well, I, anyway. I'd like to move a motion here at Leclerc that we abolish hypothecation of all taxes as a political ruse forever. Do I have a seconder? Silence. Silence. Okay, so the motion's lapsed for lack of a seconder. I'm now just going to deliver a rant. <laughs> Hypothecation is nothing more than politics. So people who say we're putting 20% of tobacco taxes into hospitals or like in Victoria, we fund the community support levy out of poker machine revenue. It's just as credible as saying me saying that my 50,000 deposit in the Commonwealth Bank is, f is funding the, the mortgage of Alan Kohler's son. You cannot put a line between one and the other, and politicians should stop doing it like road taxes are for road funding. You need a lot of revenue, you've got to spend a lot of money, they're two separate giant pools, and when you need to raise extra money, you should look at all options and not come up with a political excuse like, we started in the NDIS, so we're tripling the, the Medicare levy. So John Howard's increase in the Medicare levy was okay because he basically said I'm doing a wealth tax on everyone via an existing tax to fund the gun buyback that's okay that's fine 
but don't come up with this rubbish hypothecation. Treasury hates it. We shouldn't allow it. Andrew says, I've followed both of you for a number of years. I would be interested in the Cowboy of Manningham's opinion. Cowboy of Manningham. On what lessons other companies could learn from Macquarie Group and what does Macquarie Group need to learn itself? Other banks have trouble clawing back executive bonuses. After the Banking Royal Commission, with, with Macquarie Group's executive compensation, they can just not pay. Conversely, you have already raised that Macquarie Group could be more transparent. Okay, Cowboy of Manningham. Well, actually, I had a, I had a coffee the other week with, uh, with Laurie Cox, who was a Macquarie executive director for over a decade, and he was a chairman of Transurban, chairman of the ASX. I love catching up with these old retired guys and just shooting the breeze for a couple of hours on who we like, who we don't like, what do you think? Anyway... I don't think there's anything wrong with Macquarie. Macquarie is one of the three greatest Australian success stories. The model is very simple and has never changed. Hire the best and brightest from university, first-class honours. Do a psychometric test before they come in, so don't hire psychopaths. Hire people with good EQ. Um, Pay them modestly as base pay, but put them on a long-term incentive scheme of shared bonuses, which handcuffs them to you forever, and Macquarie handcuffs them through seven-year retention payments. So the best and brightest never leave, have a really good risk framework, great investment in technology, and be nimble as to which markets you move into, both product, sector, and geography. And away you go. 50 years later, you're the world's largest owner, manager of infrastructure. You're the millionaire's factory. You've got uh, you've created 2,000 millionaires in Australia. You've outsmarted every government in the world with infrastructure. And you've got a brilliant CEO in Shamara who's been there for 30 years, never sold a share, and she's got 300 million bucks worth of stock. So Macquarie's fantastic. And their secret also is they get institutional money. And they, they have markets where they're experts like gas, energy, infrastructure, airports, toll roads. They're not stock pickers like Magellan and Platinum going, we can stock pick better in Australia. Everyone's a stock picker. Or we can stock pick better globally. Everyone's a global stock picker. They're in opaque, unlisted markets. They're specialists. They're brilliant. I love them. There you are. Um, your what turn. do you think about Macquarie, Alan? Oh, yeah, I think they're great. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I can afford well to done, I think I've got two of their shoes. Uh, all right, I've, well, I've been following them since they were Grant Samuel. Yes. Well, no, well, Samuel, what were they? Um, Hill Samuel Hill Australia. Samuel, Hill, Hill Samuel, Samuel, not Grant so Samuel. The colonial Hill Samuel outpost. Australia. So they're a great example they of, became, the, of the colonial outpost that became bigger and better than the colonial masters. Yeah. There's nothing equivalent in the UK. No, no. That's I used right. to love it when they used to buy all the airports and toll roads in the UK, like the M6 around Birmingham, the Birmingham Airport, and they'd rip off the, the old colonial masters with overpriced toll roads and airports. Brilliant. Owen okay. says, love the show. Great balance of insight and random opinion user interaction. Rio Tinto just did a deal with the traditional owners suing FMG for the Solomon Hub in WA, the Yinjibandi people. Twiggy talks a big game on Indigenous engagement, but recent articles suggest he isn't necessarily standing on solid ground, pun intended. Is this a risk with FMG, its current operations and its green energy ambitions? What would the risks be if big insurers and super funds started to hold back their support? I don't know. Is that... Well, I don't know much about this, but I don't think it's going to happen, is it? No, I don't think Twiggy's going to get a divestment campaign based on mistreatment of Indigenous people. He is in the High Court having lost 
in that he didn't get genuine consent with some of his early agreements. And if you read his biography, Unauthorised, there's chapter and verse on how he influenced the voting outcomes in far-flung town halls in the Pilbara with Did he just? who had access to the meeting, who had a bus, who didn't, who was the leader, who voted, who said what. He stacked the meetings. I wouldn't call him a stacker, but I do <laughs> note that his great-great-uncle, Sir John Forrest, the first Premier of WA, compared Indigenous people to being like, quote, marsupials and also publicly supported the local Indigenous community being restrained in neck chains. So just like Gina and her notorious father, the two richest people in WA come from storied WA families who have spoken some rather unkind words to the Indigenous communities and have now made many, many, multiple tens of billions out of the lands of the traditional traditional owners from the, the red dust, the iron ore underneath their land. So... I don't know. And there was Gina at Donald Trump's launch yeah. yesterday. How about that? Thank God the netballers walked away. Hey, imagine that. <laughs> you can't donate that. It's illegal for foreigners to donate. Is that right? But you can buy lots of memberships at Mar-a-Lago. There's any number of ways of getting money to Donald without yeah. actually uh, Gina writing a cheque for his campaign. But well, Donald, what, what is she doing there? Well, I presume Donald is sucking up to her. She's sucking up to him. Um, there, uh, he's, As you say, she's probably making sure he gets some money from her. I mean, he's but, desperate for money. But Gina's, Gina's risk management here is poor, right? Her biggest risk is a WA Labor government coming in with a Queensland coal-style quadrupling of iron ore royalties, just like that. Sovereign risk, rip-up contracts, legislation, bang, royalties have gone from 6% to 20%. Thank you, Gina, that's $3 billion a year. If she wants to manage that and not have that happen, don't go and hang out with Donald Trump and annoy a local Labor government. Be like Twiggy and be a climate advocate, a buyer of RM Williams, a marine biologist advocate. Twiggy is protecting his social licence by being a popular guy on popular causes. Gina is making herself more and more unpopular. Uh, Philip has asked a long question about superannuation balances where we agreed with, I think, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. Um... We won't read the whole question. I mean, he's just saying he doesn't agree with he's uh, saying superannuation's balance has been capped at five million. You, you want to come in, sovereign risk him. You want to do a retrospective hit on all the hardworking Australians who've made more than five million into their super fund, and you want to change the rules in retrospect, Alan. And I agree with Philip. You're wrong. It should be twenty million. <laughs> you can't it. have four hundred million in an SMSF. That is ridiculous. Like yeah, all good things, it should be capped. So it's just it's just a question of where you draw the line. Correct. Yeah, and I'd say twenty. No one can complain about having to okay. unload their super fund and only leave twenty in there. Your turn, Brett. I'm extremely humbled that you, Alan, went into the I sign this office on my behalf. Thank you. Australian Super has told me the shares have now been written off. What happens if I sign this list on another exchange? Who pockets my money? I find this totally unacceptable because direct shareholders have been provided atomic share registry documents just in case they list again elsewhere. So you now you now own shares in uh, two companies, I sign this and Southern Cross Payments, and it was Southern Cross Payments. Uh, office in Victoria Parade, East Melbourne, that I barged into last week. Like a foot in door, a current affair journalist exactly. in your storm, cola here, flash your card. What, what right. happened? Um, nothing much. 
<laughs> intimidating no, seventy-year-old. I did. I, I, I absolutely scared the crap out of Fong. Who <laughs> was the accountant who seemed to be in charge, but he didn't have much to tell me. Uh, but the previous week, uh, Southern Cross payments had been delisted. Now, Brett says, "What happens if I sign this list on another exchange?" Well. Uh, if they list on an exchange, if, if either I sign this or Southern Cross Payments lists on any exchange, you presumably can sell, which is the whole uh, benefit of it. Um, the, the, the person who pockets the money, therefore, if you sell, is you. Um, so that's not, not unacceptable. What's unacceptable is them being remaining delisted. Well, so you're locked in. I know. I, I disagree. I mean... I mean, what do you mean? Well, like with Biggin and I sign this, there's a, I won't call it a rort, but there's a scenario in Australia where you sell your vision to retail shareholders and 10,000 retail punters bought into I sign this. You then get big enough that you get included in the ASX 300 with retail pumping you up. Yeah. Once you're in the ASX 300, the Black Rocks and Vanguards and State Streets of the world have to buy you. And then the insiders who have promoted this suddenly valuable retail-driven stock sell out to the index funds. So that is a well-known ability for promoters to make money. And in my view, that was the play at I Sign This. They persuaded retail, they pumped up the stock, it got into the ASX 300, proxy advisors blew the whistle, ASX suspended the stock, they sued the ASX, never take, never take on City Hall. They took on City Hall. They've never been back. And the founder's now in Cyprus. Uh, there's tax ATO issues. Um, it was a very controversial business model, possibly facilitating money laundering. Um, and I do feel sorry for the 10,000 punters who bought in as well, like I feel sorry for the hundreds of thousands of punters who've bought into crypto. Well, I, Don't I, believe I feel every last partly, hot promoted thing coming down the street. And I do feel partly responsible for it because I interviewed John Karantzis. And it uh, wasn't your uh, most forensic grilling, perhaps. Oh, well, it was But it was just, a popular stock. It was, I mean, just, you're, you're, it was, there was no reason to think at the time that he was a crook. Yeah, you didn't say buy at the end of it. I you did not said, say buy. I did not recommend is, the stock. I just said here he is. coming into the ASX And I asked him the questions that needed to be asked, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of the ASX, did you see they've junked the chess replacement program this morning? Which was uh, to be based on blockchain. That's right. Based on blockchain. So just after crypto's fallen over, you've got one of the world's largest blockchain technology mainstream corporate investments falling over. After 10 years, the yeah. ASX is saying we may write the whole thing off. It may never happen. So big setbacks for blockchain and crisis times for crypto. We're out of time. We're out of time, Alan. But, um, yeah. but lovely to chat. We've got a few questions that we didn't get to. We'll try to get to them next time. Um, so hopefully we will. But anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, it's been great as always I'll, we'll, I'll be back next week with James Thompson so send in your questions for him or me to the money cafe at eurekareport.com.au till then I'm Alan Cole, founder of Eureka Report finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist for the New Daily and I'm Stephen Mayne Eureka contributor founder of Crikey shareholder pest and city of Manningham cowboy counsellor over and out <laughs>